Like the ocean and masculinity and fucking... Yeah. Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's so hot. If I smell your sweat, I'm turned on immediately, man. Like, that's such a turn yeah. on for me. And, and I can, like, decipher the, like, little hint of mint over there in the shampoo. <laughs> uh, who the fuck has noses Of course. Like that? And <laughs> I know what lavender is immediately when I smell just a hint of it. I know, I know, yeah. I remember. Yeah. It takes me back to my childhood, you know. <laughs> Nina here. Hey, and I'm Anya. And welcome to the More Than Fiction podcast. So today's episode is gonna be a little bit different because we're gonna be discussing theories in regards to the Akotar series. So what we think is gonna happen next in the next books uh, in regards to certain characters. Anya is showing me a Court of Silver Flames right now, so yeah, we're excited, Which is right? your copy. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, I gave you that copy. I mean, I, you, I let you borrow it, so we're clear. Sure. <laughs> so you don't sure. forget to give it back. Eventually. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're super excited about this. We have some juicy theories lined up for you. Anya's theories are more about the plot, while mine is focused basically on one character. And it's just this big theory that is kind of structured out of other small theories in a way. But you'll see, we'll get to that. So okay. Anya, will you take the floor? Sure. Okay, let's do this. My theory <laughs> is... Kind of also a bunch of smaller theories connecting into one huge theory, which I believe will just constitute a plot of a future book. Because for me, it's kind of clear currently where Sarah J. Maas is getting her inspiration from in regards to the mythology and the folklore that we see, especially in those last couple of books. Um, I feel like with this series, Sarah is really like taking from all sorts of sources, from like different cultures, mythologies, and folklore. But in the last few books, I kept noticing little things that reminded me of the sort of stories that I've read as a little kid. And then for this episode, I went to research it a bit deeper. I went to reread the stories that I read as a kid. Like if anyone needs a source, it's mostly a fairy tale by Zhukovsky that I'm telling this all from, but really like there are a bunch of them that are like very similar and just told in a few different ways. So there's really like no right or wrong way to tell it, but it's clear that this is where Sarah Jimas is taking her inspiration from. So for me, the most obvious thing that I noticed while I was reading was the antagonist in those last few books was named Kashi. And Kashi, the Deathless, is a very, very common antagonist figure in Slavic folklore, in Russian folklore. Basically, most stories you read, he is the main bad guy. Like he either kidnaps the princess or turns the princess into like an animal or causes chaos. Like this is like the main evil guy, right? Yeah, so we probably want to learn more about Cachet and the mythology behind him. I definitely do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, cool. So yeah, it is said that he is the son of the god of death, like the main death god, and he has a couple of siblings, but 
you know, he also has the power of that. He's said to be the god of winter, the god of cold. And in many fairy tales, he's shown as this all-powerful wizard that is rich, that is a king, that is ruling the kingdom. But in other fairy tales, he is actually captured, like he's actually being held captive in the beginning and the main character like comes and gets fooled into rescuing him. So to me, it's like really interesting that in this book, he is sort of bound to this lake. So that kind of falls in line with the sort of myth where he is all powerful, he's deathless, but also he's being kept in like one place and can't leave it. So it's possible that in the future books, like actors will end up setting him free by being tricked or something like that, just saying. And one of the main things about him is that he's deathless. He cannot be killed. That is why he is so powerful. But what does this actually mean? Is it really like not possible to kill him? Of course not. Like the story end with the good guys killing him. So he actually is hiding his death. His death is like outside of the body, hidden somewhere else. So you cannot kill him by just like attacking him. You have to like go and find where his death is hidden. So I feel like this will be significant and I will get to that later. But yeah, like he is the main antagonist. He usually steals the female princess. He steals like the female main character and then like she has to be saved or he's holding like mythological creatures like captive or turns the princess into an animal to curse her. So that is all like ringing bells, I'm sure. Because, I mean, in this series, we have a princess that was like sold to him or was stolen by him and he turned her into a firebird. So that is obviously Sarah taken from this mythology to create her own thing. Because in mythology of the firebird, exist, but it's just like a magic bird. I didn't see any story in which the princess was turned into it, but it's clear that she's inspired by like both of those sort of. So I feel like this is really cool. So yeah, the second archetype I want to talk about is the princess. It is the female sort of main character who appears in just a bunch of fairy tales. And sometimes she goes by different names, you know, but it's kind of clear she is taking the same sort of role in the stories. So I feel like she appears also in Akatar. Her name is usually Vasilisa, either Vasilisa the Vice or Vasilisa the Beautiful. And uh, is there any character that <laughs> is sort of having a similar name <laughs> in those books? Yeah, Vasa, very clear, very clear. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. But, I mean, I don't know. I might be telling like the most obvious things ever right now. Like, I'm not sure if the fandom already like guessed all of it. But I mean, to me, it's clear like this is what she's hinting at. That Vasa is the Vasilisa, the vice, the beautiful, whatever. She is this, you know, this beautiful, gorgeous woman in the midst. She is very wise. She sometimes goes on her own adventure and, you know, defeats evil and marries a prince and lives happily ever after. Or she gets cursed and then someone like has to save her. So it's very similar to the character we get in Akatar. So those are like a few of the archetypes, like the antagonist, Kashi, the main female character. 
But we also get a main male character, usually. We get that archetype in those stories too. And his name is usually Ivan. Ivan the Prince, Ivan the Princeling, sort of. And, well, he's the son of a king, obviously. And he usually has a few brothers. Uh, in different stories, he can have a different number of brothers, but he is always the youngest one. And his brothers, like, usually underestimate him, you know, because he's the youngest, he's the most carefree. Oh, they yeah. do now. Yeah. They do now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they're all kind of assholes. <laughs> and, like, they all think that he's, like, incapable of anything and that he's, like, young and stupid. So, usually, you know, okay, you might be suspecting something, but okay. Usually, they get. <laughs> I can see where this is going, okay, for okay. sure. <laughs> okay, I oh mean, my God. Sure, so in these stories, like, they usually get sent onto some sort of a quest by their father, the king, and obviously the older brothers are, like, all for it, and they are all saying how great they are and how they're gonna go and, you know, save the princess, get the firebird, whatever, but, you know, the little brother is forced to stay home because the older brothers can handle it, obviously. But then he still convinces his father to let him go, and he is then usually the one who ends up doing all the quests, saving the princess, getting the firebird, and, you know, saving the day. So this is usually what happens in those stories. And what is really interesting to me is that in a very common version of the story, on the way to doing all of those adventures, he meets a talking wolf. And he and this wolf become like besties <laughs> and like travel together and do all of those quests together. Oh my god! I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I love this. <laughs> I I can tell that, that you might have an idea already where this is going. <laughs> oh, that I. I for sure do. I did, I did. Guys, listeners, hopefully you're already aware of where this is going. Seriously. Oh my gosh. I mean, I thought that I would sound unhinged when I'm saying all of this. I didn't actually think that you'd get it immediately. So, okay. But sure, his bestie is a talking wolf that can turn into a human sometimes. So, um, so yeah. So they end up, you know, doing all of those quests, saving the princess. But because the king promised to whoever completes the mission that he would get the riches, that he would leave the entire kingdom to him. You know, the second the elder brothers realize that their little brother is the one who will end up getting the kingdom, they usually end up trying to attack him or end up trying to kill him to get his spot and basically act as if they're the ones who completed the quest. So yeah, and in this like very common story, actually what happens is that the wolf, his bestie, actually finds him as he's dying and ends up saving his life and protecting him from the brothers. Oh, but yeah, question for the classes. <laughs> Who do you think is Ivan? <laughs> Fucking Lucian. Oh my god. And his wolf bestie is, of course, the one and only Tamlin. 
and he actually this actually happened his brothers tried to kill him they were after him Tamlin saved him even killed one or two of his brothers and took him in to his court he helped him out and that's how they became best friends and also like Lucian yeah obviously he has these brothers they're very competitive so I mean they hate him and Lucian like he is currently with Vasa mm -hmm. we left him off with Vasa they live like in a cabin with Jurian mm -hmm. he obviously like has some kind of a connection with her I actually wanted to also mention this like later on because I also have a theory that he might end up with her because there's like also this part in the book where Farah connects them like he's a fire I'm gonna get to that mm -hmm. later I don't remember the words exactly mm -hmm. but I remember he also landed a coat to Vasa mm -hmm. so I'm pretty sure that they're gonna be a thing i mean he's the one that went after her he's the one that actually he literally did this he went after her and he found her exactly like the more i kept researching the more i was like those are literally just the stuff that happened to Dakotar already so to me it's like so obvious that they are those archetypes like vasa is vasilisa kashi is obviously kashi the deathless and lucian is ivan the prince because he is the son of the High Lord and he is the youngest one. Tamling literally saved him from his brothers and gave him protection by like giving him a title in his court. So like it's happening in different sort of timeline, like that there happened in fairy tales, but it's all there. Yeah, so my unhinged theory is that Lucian is the real main character of Akatar <laughs> and that <laughs> he and Vasa are meant to be together from just the point of view of those sort of archetypes and how it usually happens. I mean, you never know, maybe we might get like a side story for Lucian, mm -hmm. like a separate, you know, spin-off series for him. I also read a theory online mm -hmm. about how Lucian might end up being the one king that unites all of the courts. And Vasa, she is, of course, a queen. So they may unite, you know, the humans and the fairies. And that would make sense because if you remember in A Court of Silver Flames, I think, the knight court suggested to Rissand that he should be the king to unite them all. And he was like, like, fuck mm -hmm. no and we all know from these books that Risan doesn't want to be a king you know that's not his ambition exactly. at all um he's fine with being you know a high lord and that's it so you never know maybe Lucian will be the one to actually unite them all and also Lucian has the most connections he's like a politician even like in the first book we always heard from Tamlin you know that he's the one that really manages all of these things he kind of takes care of the relations between courts and stuff he knows everyone mm -hmm. very well so it would make sense that he would be the one to unite them. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, if my theory about the fairy tales is correct, he is going to end up being the one to kill the main bad guy. And he will probably do it together with Vasa, who is the queen in the human world. So it would totally make sense that they're going to be the saviors of basically the entire realm, which will probably like give them a good position to then become the leaders and the rulers of, of everyone, basically. Yeah, plus he is actually um, an heir to a throne mm -hmm. already because he is pretty much the son of Helion mm -hmm. from the Day Court. Mm -hmm. And he's his only son, as far as we know, <gasps> so he will definitely be the one to get his powers once Helion dies. Shit. So he'll pretty much be pushed into the position of being a High Lord of the Day Court. Well, okay, if you put it that way, then yeah, totally. 
So yeah, that one, that one kind of... We yeah. nailed this. We figured it out, Anya. Okay, we solved this. Okay. Like, seriously. <laughs> cool. If Sarah's listening to us right now, she's going to be mind yeah. you. So- sorry, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it don't ruin anything. <laughs> apologies, apologies. Yeah. yeah, and then if everything I'm saying so far is making any sense, then I can continue to say that I believe the plot of next books is going to be that they will obviously need to break Vasa, oh, I almost said Vasilisa, scores. They will need to stop Kashi from being the bad guy. So they will have to go and find a way to kill him. So I will tell you now how this usually happens in fairy tales. Um, I think I already mentioned that the reason why he can't be killed is because he separated sort of his death from his body so like his death his life force his soul whatever is hidden somewhere in a different place than he is in fairy tales this usually means a box that is either buried under a tree or stuck in a tree on an island and inside this box there is a rabbit and inside that rabbit there is a duck and inside the duck there is an egg and inside the egg there is a needle and you have to get that needle and you have to break it and if you break the needle because she dies right okay mm-hmm. i can explain what is thought to be behind this myth like why is that the one that's stuck uh, so basically the egg is a common symbol in slavic mythology and usually it is said to represent like the rebirth it's sort of a symbol of where you know the universe came from where all life came from and all life stems from the egg so Kushi hid his death in a thing that created all of life in the universe like the cauldron oh my gosh yes right like the second you hear the description of the egg it's yeah. like we already have a thing that is described exactly that way <laughs> in the books. We nailed it! We nailed it! Oh my god! Oh my gosh! <laughs> like the second I read that explanation, I was like, we fucking have that object. Like Sarah has this object in the books already. I guess where it is right now. Oh! <gasps> oh my gosh! It's on an island. Yes, it is. Just like the egg. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh! <gasps> They're gonna have to go on an adventure to get to his death, which is hidden in the cauldron on an island. And the cauldron, yeah, is right now on the island where um couple went, yeah, right? The seraphim. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. They where they went, guys. You remember that from <laughs> yeah, Echo War? Yeah. I definitely believe that Lucian and Vasa and probably Tamling will have to go on the adventure to search for the cauldron to break or to like disconnect Kashi's life force from the cauldron because he's somehow connected to it and that's why he can die. I am so sure about this. Oh my gosh. Uh, I Now I have to like mention another thing because, okay, now we've figured this out. So there's also like a question of a certain mate that Lucian already mm-hmm. has. Well, we're here right now assuming that he's going to end up with Vasa. People are probably wondering, well, what about Elaine? Mm-hmm. You know, like our girl Elaine is <laughs> over there waiting mm-hmm. for him. But that's the thing. She's not waiting for him. Actually, she wants him to go away. <laughs> so 
my theory is obviously, I mean, and yours too, since you believe he's going to end up with Vasa, that he'll probably not going to end up with mm-hmm. Elaine. And if we're being real here, we don't really get much from Elaine and Lucian as a yeah. couple. Sure, the story hasn't been centered around them from the moment Akator came mm-hmm. out. So people might say, but that makes sense. But at the same time, it also wasn't centered around Cassian and Nesta. And yet we still kind of got those little hints of them being attracted to each other, of them like having this kind of a connection. While with Lucian and with Elaine, it just feels awkward all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, we can understand her and we can say, well, she's not ready yet. She's been through a traumatic experience. She was uh, engaged to someone else. But still, some time has already passed and yet she's not even willing to gift him something at Solstice. She doesn't even use his gifts. Mm -hmm. She doesn't even give him the chance to talk to him. And I'm not blaming her for this at all. But what I'm trying to say here is that I feel like when it comes to Elaine, who she ends up with will be her choice. I think that's like yeah. a common thread when it comes to her, especially now that we've seen in these last few books that she's kind of gaining, I mean, not a spine, but she's kind of speaking out. Like she appears to be more outspoken and mm-hmm. all of that. So maybe she's kind of tired of other people making decisions for her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it doesn't sit right with her that now the universe or whatever has made the decision of who she should yeah. be with. I think it would make sense for her as a character to be totally against that. And, you know, I have a theory that with Elaine and Lucian, there's going to be a rejected mate plot. And that's also interesting because it would, you know, make the story so different from what we've already known with Sarah, since Nesta and Farah, they both accepted their mates, they lived happily ever after. And I feel like it would be super interesting to go in another direction. And I definitely feel like Sarah could be on board with this. And also, there's another theory out there that I haven't believed, but now that you've just explained right now, it actually kind of starts making sense. Because listen to this. People out there believe that maybe the mating bond between Elaine and Lucian is actually fake. And they believe this because... Do you remember that time when in Aquawar we got like a little bit of a point of view from mm-hmm. Lucian? He was kind of describing Elaine and Farah was in mm-hmm. his head. So the way he described Elaine, obviously as beautiful and whatever, and then he was feeling guilty because he kind of remembered his old girlfriend who died. So he felt guilty for like thinking like that of Elaine. And he described his guilt as feeling oily. And this oily word is for some reason in the fandom associated with Cochet, because some people, I guess, have also read stories about him. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And there's the thing that they think that Cochet somehow manipulated the cauldron so that everyone like believes that Elaine is actually his mate. And that didn't make sense for me, but now that you've mentioned that there's a possibility that he hid his debt in the cauldron, like it would make sense that he has the capability to actually manipulate the cauldron into faking the bond. But now the question still stands, like why would he want to do that? I sort of see how if his death is really hidden in there or, you know, maybe his life force is hidden in there or he just like has a connection, like the connection could go both ways and he can also um, manipulate whatever happens inside the cauldron. So in that sense, I can see like that he could possibly, you know, manipulate whatever happens when someone becomes fey inside the cauldron. But then I have to ask, like, yeah, but, like, what is his motivation to make a fake bond? But Lucian, we think, like, he, based on archetypes, should be with Vasa. And Kashi wants Vasa. He wants Vasa to himself in that lake, right? <gasps> yeah, so that could be the motivation. Like, 
the reason why he would create this fake bond between Elaine and Lucian is so that he can keep Vasa, Lucian's actual mm-hmm. mate, all to himself. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe that's like his his goal, so that Lucian doesn't come to save Vasa. But I mean, he already did. But like, kind of right. So that, like, they don't like find this connection between them, so that eventually he can like steal her back or something. And that's like his way. And free her entirely, yeah. Maybe we're onto something. Oh my gosh. I feel like we are. I mean, like, no matter how you spin it, both stories are kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. If the maid bond is actually fake, or if they just simply reject the maid bond. Like, both of these options are uh, make sense. And regardless of how it will turn out, I'm positive that Lucian and Elaine are not endgame. Like, mm-hmm. based on everything we know, based on everything we've got so far, all the hints, mm-hmm. I'm positive that this story will not end up in the happy ever after when it comes to this mate. And I'm so happy about that because we've talked about this also in the past episodes, that sometimes, you know, these mate stories can get a bit repetitive and tiring. Mm-hmm. It would be, like, more interesting if a character who's supposed to be with someone actually chooses someone else. It's so much more complex, right? Exactly. Oh my gosh. From this perspective, I yeah, kind of want us to be wrong about the fake bond. Because if we are totally like making this up right now and it doesn't happen, then the storyline is, or at least we're hoping that Lucian and Vasa choose each other because fuck destiny. It's way more romantic to find a person and actively make the choice that you want to be with them. And that's like way more romantic than the universe fucking deciding it for you. So I agree with that. But then if it turns out that, oh, wait, oops, she was actually magically manipulating the whole thing, then the message kind of becomes, oh, no, wait, the mating bond is still always correct, actually, and this one wasn't the right one. So there's no free will, everyone. And I kind of don't like that, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I actually also prefer the rejected Mm -hmm. mate idea, but I don't want to completely dismiss the fake bond idea because based on everything that we've just kind of figured out, it makes sense. But before this podcast, I did not think it made sense at all. Just this whole connection you made, now it just kind of triggered something in my my head. Um, And it also made me think of this little comment that another person made on the internet. When Pharaoh was in Lucian's head and he was describing Mm -hmm. the bond, he kind of called it as a thread that kind of connects from his chest into Elaine's chest. Like it was a thread that someone can physically Ooh. see and pull. While every time Rissand and Farah describe their bonds, it feels a lot more consuming. Like it consumes your entire body mm-hmm. and soul. Mm-hmm. So that's why some people assume that maybe their bond is fake because the description is so different and it seems so much more superficial than what we got with uh, the other couples. Yeah, I can see that. But maybe it's just different in regards to, you know, sometimes the mating bond can snap into place after, you know, the couple already met, they already, like, hung out together, they already, like, made some sort of memories together, and then they figure out the bond. So maybe it's different if it's like that. But we also had, like, instances of people just, like, looking at each other and, like, they figure out there's a bond. So, like, maybe that's the difference here. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. I mean, these bonds, like, they're very inconsistent, Mm -hmm. you know, like, 
Reese dreamt of Feyre, for example, for a while before he even met mm. her. And then when he met her, he didn't put it together immediately. He put it together on that balcony once they were saved from Amaranthus' curse. Yeah. So a little bit later, and it was the same with Cassian and Nesta. Cassian kind of always suspected. Nesta didn't want to admit it to herself. And then when they finally talked about it, that's when it became actually real. So... And then, with, but it is kind of, you have to admit that it's kind of weird with Lucian that he was the only one who just had to take one look at Elaine once she yeah. got, and just, uh, oh my gosh, when she got out of that cauldron, that's when he said, you're my mate. But once he saw her when they were still in the room and she was a human, he didn't make that connection. Wait, did Cassian already suspect before Nesta turned into the Fae? Yeah, he said that when he met her Damn. in Hera's house already, he kind of already had the feeling. Oh and Lucian God. didn't. But when she got out of the cauldron, he was just like, the first thing he said was literally, you're my mate. Oh my God. True, they met before. And it's not like being a human um, negates this sort of feeling because like it did it for Rice, it did it for Cassian. Oh my God. That's so, so interesting. I got kind of goosebumps right now a little bit. Oh shit, if we're onto something, like, we'll need credits, okay? Like, seriously, we'll, we will need credit for figuring this out. I mean, I know people <laughs> out there already think that there's a fake bond, but the evidence, I mean, not really, mm -hmm. but you know, we just gathered mm -hmm. together, it's like mind-blowing. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Well, shall we now move on to my theory? Sure, let's go. Okay, so now we've established, both of us, that we believe that she will not end up with Lucian. But, of course... People assume that if she will not end up with Lucian, then of course it has to be Asriel, right? Because we've seen mm -hmm. throughout these books that her and Asriel have this kind of like a chemistry going on, which we cannot mm -hmm. deny. But I actually think that she won't end up with Asriel either. <laughs> which, like, I love Asriel. I love him. It has nothing to do with him. And also it has nothing to do with Lucian. I love both of these characters, but... I just don't see it based on what we've got in these last books. Um, so, like, yeah, we got mm -hmm. Azrael's perspective in A Court of Silver Flames, in which Elaine and him almost kissed. And, mm -hmm. you know, we definitely felt the chemistry and the energy there. It was hot. And then Rissand interrupted them because he was, like, kind of mad about Azrael blowing this whole political situation they have going on, alliance with Lucian. And, yeah, they had a conversation in which Azrael kind of also got mad and he said, you got a sister, Cassian got a sister, why shouldn't I get a sister? Like, it's probably a mistake that she's with Lucian or something like that. And when he said this, it felt very... Kind of icky to me because it felt like like he was feeling like he's entitled to her because his two mm. brothers got uh, the two sisters. So I don't know. I just didn't like that phrasing. I guess mm -hmm. and like he was in love with more for five hundred years, uh, which is insane. And he is probably super mad at the universe or the cauldron or whoever that she didn't end up being his mate. And he's probably super like depressed about it still. I mean, we can see that Azrael is a very dark, unhinged person. I mean, I can't even <laughs> fathom what's going on in I his like mind. Him. I do too. I do too. And I feel like I feel like because he is the way he is, his book is gonna be super interesting interesting because he's very mm -hmm. kind of complex so you know he's probably mad about that and it must feel to him very unfair that his brothers are now happy with their mates while he's still so alone it must feel very lonely mm -hmm. uh in comparison mm -hmm. so that's one point that i have to make and then there's another one. Oh yeah sorry do you have anything to comment about this well, yeah, I mean, I totally see your perspective and how you interpreted what Asriel said to Rissand in this situation. 
but I didn't even react to this line in that way because to me that line was just so cringe. It was so cringe that it took me out of the book and I didn't uh, interpret it as a serious thing that a character is seriously saying. I sort of just took it as like Sarah Jima's breaking the fourth wall a little bit. Like, haha, yeah, I see your theories. Like, the character is going to say it now. So it felt kind of like fanfic to me and I just like I couldn't take that as a serious motivation of what's going on in the character's head. So, and also like, you know, the way Rysant reacted. First of all, kind of left me disappointed in Rysant. I mean, we heard over and over and over how he's this chill and easygoing guy who lets his besties in the court do whatever they want and make their own decisions, except in all the other times where he doesn't let them do what they want and they have to do whatever he says. So, like, that was kind of pissing me off a little bit. But then also that makes for an interesting storyline if they do end up together, because then they have to, you know prove that they're like actually in love or something to Rysander and maybe even like hide the relationship or something. You know, sometimes I like those kind of stories where it's like, fuck you, I do what I want and I will be with her, you know? So I might be seeing that here. That is true. I also love those kinds of stories. And it was also mentioned in this conversation that if Asriel does this with Elaine, that Lucian can kind of challenge him into a duel, something like that. And Asriel was at that point, yeah, so what? He can challenge mm -hmm. me, I'm gonna beat his ass. And Rasan was, of course, like, no, we need him. That's the point. Like, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. So that can be an interesting also complication inside the Night Court because we all know that they're like this family, they get along really well. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to see maybe someone challenge someone else. Like, for example, Asriel challenge Rasan's authority in this case. Yeah. That would be so cool to see. Um, since especially we saw another face to Rasan in A Court of Silver Flames that we didn't before due to Pharaoh's perspective. Mm -hmm. So this is for sure interesting. But as far as you saying that this was like maybe Sarah's like hint hint to us that she sees our theories mm -hmm. and you know she just stated that for that sake okay fine but the thing is that it's consistent with Azriel's character like I've explained you know he's been in love with this woman he's depressed True. and also I feel like Azriel, after everything he's gone through being tortured and living in a basement like basically for so long mm -hmm. I think that he loads himself. I think he really doesn't like himself nor his shadows. So maybe a part of him believes that he does not deserve a mate, you know? So mm -hmm. kind of drifting towards Elaine would make sense to him because he knows that she is mated to Lucian. Like he's saying maybe it's a mistake or whatever, but maybe his self-loading is making him drift towards the wrong people. You know, like sometimes when you don't have enough self-respect or when you have low self-esteem, oh. you just get involved with people who don't appreciate you as well because that's what you feel like you deserve. And maybe this is with Azriel. He's kind of complicating stuff for himself because he just doesn't believe that he deserves anything better. Shut up. Yes, it's like, yeah, when you're not ready to be in a relationship, but you're also not ready to face it. So you fall in love with a lesbian for 500 years, of course. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? And it's the same uh -huh. with Elaine. She's like a forbidden fruit as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, and I definitely believe that there's some attachment there, attraction, but based on what he said, the way he acts, it doesn't feel like love or anything deeper than that. It also doesn't feel like they really know each other or understand each other based on the like surface level. So, I don't know. Okay, yeah, I don't know, because to me, they 
they kind of have the chemistry and I don't they both feel like a little bit awkward but in a sense that you know they're like have the attraction and it could be something more so like Lucian and Elaine are awkward in a sense that like they're forced into it but they don't actually want to be here so it's a bit like uncomfortable but Azriel and Elaine are a bit awkward in a sense like they're like I don't know kind of like each other cute, awkward. kind of cute yes cute about it so that's why I kind of like I like the idea of them I don't know I know I mean, I'm not I I'm not wrong. saying I don't like the idea of them like mm-hmm. literally just what everything you just said is definitely true I also think they're cute awkward <laughs> but just based on everything that I know I don't mm-hmm. believe they're gonna happen and I don't know I feel like Elaine needs someone different because someone that challenges her maybe a little bit more because she's very quiet for now like we said she's finding her voice now and in regards to Asriel I don't think she's gonna become any louder because she seems very shy around him and just very Mm -hmm. calm and like taken aback and like he saved her a lot of time she probably Mm -hmm. feels like also she owes him a little bit and stuff like that so I don't know I feel like he's not gonna bring out that something more out of her that maybe someone else could um and the same goes for him and there's like also another point that i want to mention in Mm -hmm. regards to this so when they almost kissed he said that his shadows hid away from her and that's another thing in regards to Azrael. he probably doesn't like his shadows either Mm -hmm. like he doesn't like himself so how could he like this Mm -hmm. power that he has so they kind of hid away from her and then he went and met up with Gwyn in the House of Wind and yeah. it said it was stated that his shadows danced around her and that they sang with her or something like that. So I think that they're mates because it would make sense that his shadows like dance around her and stuff like that. And that is also like a metaphor for maybe he can accept himself with Gwyn because she accepts him the way he is. And also she asks him in that part like if he sings and he says that he does, she also sings. So there's another thing that they Mm kind of have in common. I mean, we never got like any sexual chemistry between the two. We got definitely friendship vibes. But of course that at this point that's going to be the case because Gwen, you know, she's still pretty traumatized. She was raped. I feel like she's not going to be ready for anything more for a while. Mm -hmm. Her sister, her twin sister was also killed in front of her. So, of course, it makes sense that they're not, like, flirting and being very sexual and stuff. I think that they're mates and that they're probably gonna get to that point very slowly and start off as friends. And Asriel is definitely someone that has the patience, you know? And also, Gwyn, she is a firecracker you know like I love Gwen and the way that we kind of discovered who she is through Nesta's point of view I feel like she could be a really good match for Azrael like in the sense of her personality as well okay interesting I mean I really love Gwen first of all and I like them together I like them like as characters as you know when they interact but but yeah I kind of don't read them as as romantic like at least in this point right now i mean i already said that in the solo frames episode but like sometimes with like those kind of male and female relationships like sometimes it happens that they just prefer like they're like really good friends like not everything has to be romantic and this is just the way i interpreted their few interactions and how i would like really like to see them but i don't know that's just from what we see now so it has so much potential to like develop into something else so i don't know yes yes i know what you're saying i haven't like felt that either but just based on like these little crumbs that sarah's kind of given us you Mm -hmm. know based on these facts i could say 
it makes logical sense to me, you know, regardless if there's any chemistry there for now or not. Um, and I feel like, yeah, they would be really good for each other to help each other also heal, you know, go on their healing journeys together. And he's also helped her so much in regards to training, just like Cassian mm -hmm. has. And we've also seen from Gwyn's perspective, I mean, not Gwyn's perspective, but Nesta's perspective when she was noticing Gwyn kind of staring longingly at him. We didn't get really? that from him, but we did get that a little bit from Gwyn from Nesta's point of view. Um, okay. So we did get a little bit of something. Uh, she okay. definitely does probably like him, at least in that superficial level you know the way he looks i guess oh by the way i just remember something about mm -hmm. um staring i also remember one tiny tiny part of silver flames where emery was staring at morrigan for like a second and she said that morrigan is beautiful so like i mean i feel like this is the only crap that we're gonna get but uh i'll just be delusional and say that there's something there <laughs> maybe that would that would be perfect that would mm -hmm. be amazing that's also a good theory actually <laughs> I, I ship that. I ship that for sure. I don't know, like, I don't know how many books there are gonna be. I feel like two books more and one novella. So I'm not uh -huh. sure if we're gonna get more s story, but maybe we'll get like little snippets if they get together. Or maybe a novella that's gonna be dedicated to them. Like, maybe, maybe that maybe. would be cool. And wait, then it happens so that Gwyn and Asriel and Nesta and Cassian and Morrigan and Emery and. Reese and Feyre, like they're all matched up, kind of, kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. And also another thing just about Gwyn, this is the last fact that I have here. In one instance, when Nesta and Gwyn are talking about training, Nesta is kind of surprised that Gwyn got so good at these physical activities so fast. So Gwyn basically tells her that she is part nymph and that her bones as a result are pliant. So that pretty much means that they're kind of stretchy, I guess. So that means that she might be able to bear children that have wings. While Elaine, she won't be able to do that because we've already seen with Farah, she almost died. And, you know, Nesta, of course, made the wish for Farah and she made the wish for herself as well that she will be able to bear these children, but she didn't make the same wish for Elaine. So I feel like that's just, again, another fact that might say, you know, well, these two aren't meant to be together. I mean, they might decide that they don't want children, but I'm pretty sure if not Asriel, Elaine would definitely want to have kids. She seems the maternal type. I don't know. Uh, yeah, my first thought was that, like, not everyone wants to have children yeah. or needs to have yeah, children. Yeah, of course. But the more you think about Elaine as a character, she does feel to me like she would want the kid in the future, so... Out of the three sisters, she actually mm -hmm. feels the most maternal and gentle, and yeah, you get my point. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so... And also, another thing, I personally would find it a little bit cringy if Azrael ends up with Elaine also from the point of view that, you know, like, three brothers with the three sisters. Uh, I don't know, I don't like that uh, idea, but if they did, I wouldn't mind it, honestly, I would be like, okay, fine, it wouldn't be the thing that disappoints me most of all, but um, yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, like, I'm consoling myself with the fact that even if Azriel and Elaine ending up together means that we get this cringe three sisters and three brothers thing, we also get the very interesting and subversive rejected bond thing, so it's not like all cliche, True. right? 
True. So maybe that's she's true, like breaking true. one cliche, but doing a different cliche, but at least there's something. That's true. And also, you never know, there might be a possibility that Azriel and Gwyn actually are mates, but he also decides to reject the maid bond with Gwyn. Oh my god. Or Gwyn decides the same thing because she's not ready for a relationship. You know, she's a priestess, mm -hmm. she's been sexually assaulted, so it just doesn't make sense for her to go there. Mm -hmm. And maybe they end up being best friends. Like, we can get a double rejection plot or something. Like, we never know. That would be also cool. Maybe. Yeah. Oh my god. But honestly, the things we know from Azrael right now, I don't see that happening. I feel like if he had a mate, he would go for it completely. Of course, he would be like shocked and stuff, but I don't think he would just let that go. I mean, because the thing is, like we've discussed, you know, he probably believes that he doesn't deserve a mate. So yeah. if he rejects her, it's gonna be like he's rejecting himself in a sense. But if he kind of accepts that, yeah, he does deserve one, that he is worth so much more. You know, yes. that would be a win for him. Okay, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm still not totally convinced that Elaine and us aren't like the best pairing out of all of those. But yeah, I don't know. But like, who could Elaine be then with? But I mean, at the end of the day, not everyone has to end up in a couple. But sure, not everyone needs to be in a couple. But I don't know. This is like a romance book. And I just kind of mm -hmm. let, let's assume that she will also get her Prince Charming or whatever. Okay. And since I don't believe it's gonna be Lucian or Asriel, I do think that it's gonna be Tamlin. Yeah, I've said it. I've said it. People don't hate me. I have a lot of notes, by the way, about this. I have a lot of good arguments for this idea. <sighs> so. Yeah, I mean, I saw you comment that on Instagram to someone. I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? So, <laughs> I mean, don't hate me. But <laughs> oh <laughs> I mean, my I god, it was I'm a sorry. Joke. <laughs> Yeah, no, I wasn't joking. <laughs> I, mean, I wish I was, but no. Like, okay, like, seriously. Uh, first off, I just want to make a disclaimer. I'm not excusing Tamlin. I just literally feel like, based on facts that we've got, like the crumbs that we've got throughout all of these books, it just makes so much sense. So I have certain, like, points here written down in my notebook that are my own arguments. But I have also, throughout time, since I read Akotar, kind of discovered other arguments that other people who also mm -hmm. think this have made. So this is like partially it's my ideas and partially other people's ideas, just so mm -hmm. you know. Okay, so let's do this. This is gonna be long, so bear with me, but it's totally worth it. Sure, okay. So the first point, the chest of drawers. If you remember, Feyre, when they were living in their human little cottage, mm -hmm. she drew on each drawer something for each sister. So for okay. herself, she drew the night sky. So that is reminiscent of Rissant, and Rissant ended up being her one true love. Mm -hmm. Then for Onessa's drawer, she drew crackling flames. And actually, SJM stated that she originally planned for Nesta and Lucian to end up together, but she changed okay. her mind later on. So these flames could then possibly mean that she actually meant Lucian for Nesta. So her one true love, Lucian. Oh, and another thing, if it's not Lucian, we can also spin it. Cassian's uh, siphons, they're also kind of fiery or something like that. Sure. So it can still be connected to his abilities that he has as a Lyrian. Mm -hmm. And then there's Elaine's drawer, who, guess what, has violets and roses. So, mm -hmm. you know... This is reminiscent of the Spring Court and reminiscent of Tamlin. So based on these, like, Onestas and Feras, it just makes sense for Elaine. That's my first part. Okay, uh, moving on. Then the Spring Court, like, in general, is such a connection that Sarah J. Maas makes super obvious. Mm -hmm. um, so Nesta, who is definitely Elaine's closest companion, at one point makes this very clear because she says, But Elaine, the Spring Court had been made for someone like her. Then we have Feyre, who similarly suggests that Elaine would adore the beauty of the Spring Court. I quote, 
She would have marveled, likely wept, at the gardens I'd become so accustomed to, at the flowers in perpetual bloom at the spring court. And even the gates to Elaine's are described in a similar fashion to the gates of the spring court, which is solid iron covered in vines of flowers where it would have been. The blossoms were all sealed, sleeping buds tucked into tangles of leaves and thorns. And also, Nesta remarks that Elaine smells like a promise of spring. The fuck does that smell like? I have no idea. It sounds cute. It sounds cute. Very poetic. Romance writers love their descriptions of smells that make no sense. Oh my gosh, so true. Or like smells of uh, being, someone being turned on and stuff. Like yeah. so hot, right? Like oh the my gosh, ocean I that. and masculinity and fucking... Yeah. Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> like that's so hot. If I smell your sweat, oh, I'm turned on immediately, man. Like that's such a turn yeah. on for me. And, and I can like decipher the like little hint of mint over there in the shampoo. <laughs> uh, who the fuck has noses Of course. Like that? And <laughs> I know what lavender is immediately when I smell just a hint of it. I know, I know, yeah. I remember. Yeah. It takes me back to my childhood you know <laughs> jesus <laughs> it's so funny but yeah like sarah like she's really pouring this on strong like this spring connection to elaine it's insane and then another thing you know obviously since she's so reminiscent of spring there's c- the gardening passion she's mm-hmm. constantly associated with flowers so at every single point in the Akutor series Elaine has been described as her happiest when she was gardening or when flowers have been involved and here are some examples again Instead, I spent most of my time with Elaine in her little garden she had come alive here and her joy was infectious The little garden beneath the window was hers. My sister was beaming, content, prettier than I'd ever seen her, even in her simple muslin gardening dress. So, you know, Elaine was obviously feeling very distressed when she came to Valaris. Her whole world was, you know, turned upside down. But the only thing that kind of gave her purpose and joy was her little garden. So this isn't just like a habit of hers or like a hobby. This is literally her passion. The thing that, you know, just really gives her happiness and meaning. So, you know, if there's an entire court that can foster this passion, wouldn't we be foolish to rule rule it out as a possibility for her? But that just leads me to believe she'll probably be happy in a place with a bunch of flowers. But how does that translate to her personality-wise making sense with Tamling? Like, his personality isn't, I have a bunch of roses around. Like, that's not, (laughs) you know... Um, I I think Tamlin's personality and Elaine's personality together actually complement each other so much and they make so much more sense together than Azriel and Elaine's personality because I feel like they would be just dull as fuck. But I will get to that too. I will explain why I think that their personalities also match a little later, okay? Um, the next point is that Elaine's character is actually inspired by... Okay, an apology to all of the Welsh listeners, but I don't know how to pronounce this name by Bloduvet, uh, which is a woman of Welsh folklore that was quite literally created out of flowers. And the fandom discovered this on SGM's Pinterest board. They kind of saw that she was uh, taking inspiration from her, for her characters on Pinterest and pinning them in different maps. Mm-hmm. So Bloodwood is actually the goddess of spring. And this is disclaimer again we have not read crescent city so we don't know much about crescent city anya doesn't know anything but i for one actually know that there are shapeshifters in crescent city and the people who have read crescent city i oh (laughs) sorry yeah this is it's not really a spoiler but now you know one thing you can know one thing okay okay um so 
in regards to the whole multiverse theory with the Crescent City and Aquatar, people believe that Elaine is actually a shapeshifter and that she shifts into the shape of an owl. What? So she's an owl shifter, pretty much, in their opinion. And what character also has shifting powers? Tamlin. Mm-hmm. So then this goddess's love story bears a striking resemblance to Elaine's current situation. So according to Welsh folklore, she was arranged to be married to a man named Lu, a man she did not have romantic feelings for. And as much as we love Lucian, we can't help but, you know, see parallels between Mm -hmm. them. Elaine also doesn't have romantic feelings for him. Mm -hmm. And even Lucian and Lu, the names kind of sound similar. And Mm -hmm. Lu's name actually translates to light or sun god. And with Lucian's day court powers, this, you know, is probably not a coincidence. So maybe she, like, drew inspiration from there that Lucian is actually part of the day court and not the fire court. I mean, the autumn court. So then, like, one day, this goddess meets another man and his name is Gronv. Again, sorry for the pronunciation. Um, They fall in love and they begin to meet up in secret. So this is an occurrence that is kind of reminiscent of Cassian's observation that Elaine is sneaking off somewhere and lying about her whereabouts. Fuck! When? Yeah. In A Court of Silver Flames, I think it's in that part, in that scene, when they're all in that ball, you know, when Nesta's dancing and uh-huh. Cassian, like, is kind of standing on the side and he's observing Elaine. So he remarks something similar to this. I think it was in that scene. Oh, my God. Um. Yeah. So where is she sneaking if she is sneaking off somewhere? And if she's an owl, like, if she can shift into an owl, her sneaking off would be even easier for her. You think she's hiding that from everyone right now? Yeah, I mean, possibly. Like, if she is sneaking off, it would make... It, it would be easier for her to do that if she has, mm-hmm. like, disability. Okay. Uh, maybe she wants something just for herself, you know, that not everyone knows that it's not shared with everyone. Like, we don't know. We'll see. So, from here on out, this tale of Bloodywood is kind of a grim one because she inspires to harm Liu so that she can, you know, live a life with her one true love. So, I, of course, I'm hoping that SJM doesn't, you know, take this mm-hmm. nightmarish path. But the moral of the story is still true. Love is not to be forced, but chosen. So I think that the person she ends up with has to be like of her own choosing. Um, okay. Oh God. Sorry, did you want to say something? A person of her own choosing who was engaged to marry her literal sister? That is a choice that Sarah J. Mass would make? Okay, I mean, fucking of course it's a choice that Sarah J. Mass would make. But I hate it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I Look, I'm not saying that I agree with this. Like, I have sisters. If one of my sisters decided to date my ex, I would be like, the fuck, you know? But at the same time, you know, yeah, this is like a fantasy world and... Sarah J. Mass has made questionable decisions in the past. Like, for example, in the Throne of Glass series, there are two people that are actually kind of distantly related to their partners. In the Crescent City, they're, like, engaged to be married or something, and they're also related because they want to, like, keep it in the bloodline. Something like that. I don't know about Crescent City. Like, I haven't read it, but supposedly that's the case. And also, in Akotar, we got those two creepy twins who were also pretty <laughs> much dating, which is so gross. But, you know, Sarah... She doesn't shy away from complicated and messy, and I like that about her. And I feel like this story would be so dramatic if this happened. Like, whether we like Tamlin or not, or whether we agree with this choice, it would be such a good, like, interesting plot. Especially if Sarah sometimes manages to, for it to make sense at the end. Fuck, that's for sure it would be dramatic, but... (laughs) I mean, first of all, obviously morally I hate incest, but in this sort of fantasy... 
books, like it sometimes happens, like in Game of Thrones, blah, 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 they just have, I don't know, different fucked up worlds, so. But Elaine and Tamlin, that's not like really the same as like creepy twin sort of dating, it's more if I, like, I don't know, I, I'm an only child, I don't know if that's obvious, based on <laughs> who I am as a person or not, but I am. But even so, in Akatar, I feel like still relationships and sort of reactions to relationships and aspects of characters, I feel like are written pretty realistically. I don't feel like they're sort of like fairy tale as much. Like, you know, actions have consequences, at least for some characters in Akatar. So I'm just trying to imagine myself right now. I don't know. I imagine if like my friend like dated someone for like a long time and even let's say that they had like a really like cute nice relationship, nothing bad happened, but like they just didn't work out. I still I I would feel so like I wouldn't make a move or like at least I would like ask before if that's like all right or something you know maybe she will yeah but like if i like knew that the relationship was sort of toxic or my friend was like upset by whatever like this person did that would be so shitty of me to go and date that person and i mean people are complicated right like i could like wish that this guy like finds happiness and like gets better and improves himself and like has a great life but like if i value that friend it would still be so shitty of me to like go and seek him out and start dating him if i knew he hurt her so to imagine if i had a sister and did that to my sister that would be extra fucked up of me so if you know this plot happens sure it would be interesting i don't think it would be good because for me it would fuck up what i like about elaine as a character she would do something fucked up to her sister and i would really really be disappointed in her i don't i mean maybe she'll spin it in some kind of way that will like i'll fucking melt my brain and make me like it but i don't know I mean, now that you explain it like this, of course, I agree with you, but I feel like, yeah, Sarah J. Maas can really spin it in a way that will make it like, you know, the situation. Plus, if we can focus on Nesta for a second, Mm -hmm. like, I hated Nesta. Like, I mean, I didn't hate her because I also don't hate Tamlin. I don't hate anyone, actually. I feel like these are all really imperfect characters. Not one of these characters is okay. Like, Rasand, for (laughs) example, not okay at all, and people love Mm -hmm. him. And it's the same with Nesta. When I went into her story and a lot of people felt this way where, like, why would we ever like Nesta's story? Like, she was pretty much also abusive to Farah. Mm-hmm. She let her hunt as a child. She didn't help her. She was always mean to her. Like, Nesta was abusive to Farah in a different way too. And we still ended up loving her story when we got in- inside her head, when we saw the torture that is her freaking brain, you know? So... At the end of the day, Sarah J. Maas managed to spin it in a sense that made sense for us too. And also, we could like spin this around and say the same for Reese. You know, Cassian is Rissan's brother. Mm-hmm. So Reese could also be like angry for Cassian to want to be with someone who abused his wife. You know, he, he could also be like, uh, how can you be with Nesta the way she treated Farah? Are you kidding me? You know, and Actually. you're just what? You fell in love with her? You know what Actually. I mean? That can also be spun like that, right? That is a point. Actually, true. If Nesta didn't, if Nesta didn't realize how wrong she was when she did all of those things when they were younger and apologized truthfully for everything, and Cassian was still like, I actually don't give a shit that you abused my high lady. Like, I still like you. Like, I would be. Like, <laughs> 
kind of, I would feel like that's fucked up, you know? So that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now let's move on a little bit. So we left off with when I was discussing Elaine's choice in regards mm-hmm. to Azrael and Lucian. You know what's another thing that's very convenient for both Lucian and Azrael? That they both have like potential love interests lined up. Whether we agree about it or not, we can see that there's definitely a potential for Gwyn and Azrael. He was also in love with Moore for over 500 mm-hmm. years. Um, also, Lucian has Vasa. She's mm-hmm. definitely lined up there for him. And I have it written down here, what I mentioned before. So Farah commented about them, the similarities, a firebird and a fire lord. So that's the thing that I wanted to mention before. And um, if we think about it, like, Reese didn't have any love interests lined up except for Farah. Like, Farah was the one and only for him. The same goes for Cassian. You know, the moment he saw Nesta, we, f- we sensed that sexual tension between them. So we knew something was going to go there. He didn't have, like, any side chicks, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then there's also... Uh, disclaimer guys, Anya did not finish the Throne of Glass series, so I can't name anyone from there either, but there was also a certain character in the Throne of Glass series that did not have anyone else for them, just that one person, you know, because they were also each other's one true love. So it's interesting that Asriel, for example, he has like multiple choices and so does Lucian. Mm-hmm. Um, and the life the Tamlin can offer Elaine is also exactly something that she might desire. And this actually directly parallels Farah's own experience in the Spring Court. So in regards to clothing, Farah hated the bright dresses that Tamlin had made for her. In contrast, Cassian remarked that Elaine in black was ridiculous, that no matter how much she claimed to be part of the Night Court, the colors sucked the life from her. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is just another thing, you know, we got this comment about Farah hating her clothes and all of that in Akotar already, so we can see how Sarah was already giving us breadcrumbs about Farah not ending up with Tamlin there, but we Mm -hmm. didn't really pick up on them until we reread it, so... I feel like if we focus on these breadcrumbs that she's giving us with Elaine in the opposite direction, it also makes sense in the same way. Um, And also, like, this comment of Cassian's, like, why is it there? Why would he say that the black literally was ridiculous and that it sucked the life from her? It's just such a comment. Like, that's such a harsh comment to make. This is deeper than just stating how someone looks in a certain color. Yeah, I do agree that Elaine makes the least sense in the Night Guard out of everybody else. Of the sisters, right? I would happy if she gets away from the night guard, but I don't know if I want her to end up like the way you're describing. But also, like, if she leaves night guard, I'm fine with it. And I do see the hints for that, so that's making sense. Okay. And I know you don't want it, and I feel like a lot of people don't want it, but like, facts are facts here, okay, people? (laughs) Okay. And then. And then moving on. When Farah was advised to go for a walk in the Spring Court Garden, she laughed at the idea. And then when Alice attempted to braid flowers into her hair, she shrugged her off. So in comparison to Elaine, being able to wander throughout the Spring Court's gardens to have flowers throughout her hair, that would be like a dream come true for Elaine. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, it might seem like a small thing, but when you think about the breadcrumbs that Sarah always kind of leaves for us, this just it just makes so much sense. Then there's another thing that connects with another theory that I'm going to talk about right now. So, Mm -hmm. when Elaine went into the cauldron, Tamlin displayed more emotion than he ever had. So, I will read this out loud actually. When Elaine was being hurdled toward the cauldron, this is Tamlin's reaction. Elaine was shaking, sobbing as she was hauled forward. Tamlin said, stop. Tamlin spat at the king. This is not part of our deal. Stop this now. 
Tamlin launched himself at the throne as if he'd rip him to shreds. Tamlin strained against the color of light on his neck around his wrists. His golden power flared to no avail. And some have noted that this bears a striking resemblance to Reese's reaction when Farah was hurt by Amarantha. So I'm gonna read his reaction. Then Rassand was on his feet, my bloody knife in his hands. He launched himself at Amarantha, like um, Tamlin launched himself, swift as a shadow, the ash dagger aimed at her throat. She lifted a hand, not even bothering to look, and he was blasted back by a wall of white light. <sighs> so yeah, that's interesting. And now the most important point of this, and the most curious one, is that Lucian had the good sense to look horrified as he glanced between Elaine and Tamlin. So this is such a like, curious statement, because I, when we really focus on this, why would Lucian glance between Tamlin and Elaine, and what, why would he look horrified? Like, what would he see there that would make him feel like that? Why would Sarah J. Mass even include this? Because Lucian had no idea what Ianthi was planning. He had no idea that, you know, at this point they were rescuing Feyre, who Tamlin is supposedly super in love with. And they had no idea that the sisters were there or that any of this would be happening. So obviously, as one of the sisters is getting dragged to the fucking cauldron to, you know, get like murdered or changed or whatever is going to happen. Yeah, Lucian is going to have the good sense to look terrified because like he will think like, fuck, like now everyone will hate tumbling for what he is doing to those sisters, even though that wasn't a part of the plan. So it would make sense to me that he's glancing terrified at tumbling at the whole fucking situation, right? I don't know. Yeah, the whole fucking situation, that's true. But why would it be exactly Tamlin and Elaine? Why not just the whole situation looking horrified in general? And also, why would Tamlin react so harshly in regards to Elaine and not, for example, in regards to Nesta? Or even when they were dragged in, like he just stated something in the sense of um, this was not part of the deal or something like that, but nothing further. But when it was Elaine's time to go into the cauldron, he just freaked out. But she's the first one to get dragged into the cauldron, right? Oh, she was the first one. I forgot. Why, why did I have it in my head that it was Nesta? Because Nesta then like started, I think, showing the middle finger to everyone and everything. And that was after she already saw what her sister went through. Yeah, that's true. I, I mixed it up. I'm so sorry. I thought it was Nesta first. Sorry. Okay, yeah. in that case, it makes sense. The, it's still similarly described to what Rassand mm -hmm. uh, experienced with Farah, But this, this can definitely be uh, explained the way you just did. So that's true. And then we have also the book of readings. So, knowing that Sarah J. Mass is the queen of foreshadowing, many have pondered the strange words that were spoken in the Book of Readings. Mm -hmm. This passage, Hello, fanged beast and trembling fawn. So, this obviously is referencing Elaine, because the serial also actually uh, calls her a trembling fawn. Um, and many readers have been, like, hypothesizing that the um, fanged beast is supposedly Azrael. But we all know that uh, there's only one actual, you know, fanged beast in this story, and that's definitely Tamlin. So it's interesting that the Book of Readings would be referencing those two together. And now, this is like, I like this idea the most, now that I'm gonna mention it. So you've actually, guys, if you haven't listened our, to our Akatar episode, Anya actually states there that she thinks that this book didn't really remind her so much of the Beauty and the Beast, like, mm -hmm. which was the inspiration for it. Um, the only thing that was kind of reminiscent of the Beauty and the Beast was the fact that Tamlin was a literal 
obese and that's yeah. it and even then like he was just once in that form usually he kind of transformed into a human like type of creature but in this case it would actually make more sense if the actual beauty and the beast story was elaine and tamlin because what if Era was never supposed to be Tamlin's Belle? What if Belle was supposed to be Elaine all along? Because this would be narratively more fitting, since she is supposedly the most beautiful of the Archeron sisters. This is mentioned multiple times throughout the books, so in this case, Elaine and Tamlin are quite literally Beauty and the Beast. And also, the current situation that Tamlin found himself in is also far more reminiscent of the fairy tale uh, than the events of the first book. Because as the story goes, the beast was cursed by an enchantress due to his lack of compassion. Resorted to a life of solitude, the spell also meant that the beast's kingdom was entirely forgotten. Does this not like sound like Tamlin after the fall of the Supreme Court? Like this is literally what's going on. His kingdom is totally devastated. He roams around in his beast form. In the Court of Silver Flames, Nesta kind of ran into him. And mm -hmm. when he spoke, uh, she said that it felt like he hasn't spoken for a long time. Like he's just been in this beast form for a very long time. And when Rissand visited him in the novella, he mm -hmm. noted that the walls had like scratches on them, like from his paws or something. By the way, his whole house was just completely destroyed. So the way that his kingdom in this state that it is now, it's so much more reminiscent of the beast. And also look at this definition of the beast. So a figure haunted by his past mistakes, like past mistakes, that's literally Tamlin right now. Mm -hmm. Quick temper and prone to anger, Tamlin. And he was kind of angry in the first book too, kind of in a way he did sometimes get a little bit angry when Pharaoh wanted to go anywhere, but nowhere near this level. Um, then angry at himself for what he did, but takes it out on others. Yeah. Again, Tamlin. Despite this, he has an inner beauty, used to be a prince, therefore he is noble. So he has an inner beauty, like in Beauty and the Beast storyline, the Beast was deep down he wasn't a bad person and i feel like this is true for tamlin too and through some tough love from bell the beast was able to quit pitying himself and to gain a new outlook in life and through bell's unconditional ability to see the good in people the beast's once hardened ex exterior melts away to reveal a scarred and lost man who ultimately has a good heart and if this theory is correct this relates to tamlin and elaine perfectly this would be such a good storyline for their book and also sarah j mass she for example if she really wanted tamlin out of the picture and like let's say that he's irrelevant now she could have done that after Aquawar. so tamlin saved uh Farah and her friends then he saved her son's life and he told her to be happy mm -hmm. and she also like sent him a note through lucian and she told him in that note to be happy as well so that was a kind of like I, I mean, for me, it was an insufficient closure for the two. I feel like they should have talked, but let's say that that's closure. So that was a good way for to just get rid of Tamlin, or they could have killed him off in Echo War. Maybe like, I don't know, he sacrificed himself to mm -hmm. save Farah. Like if the author really wanted him gone. But in this case, we get his whole house uh, falling apart. We get him in the beast form, just like the Beauty and the Beast. I mean, why would she do this if this doesn't maybe have some kind of a connection to later books? So this makes, again, a lot of sense to me for the future storyline, which this is, I guess, a theory in regards to the plot itself. I guess maybe, but I mean, his kingdom is on the border with the human lands, so it would be kind of hard to not mention him in the future stories at all whatsoever, just because of, like, they need to do anything with the humans or probably like cross him. Of course, mm -hmm. but I mean, if that was the only reason, she could have just killed him off. 
Okay, and maybe, someone yeah. else would have ruled the court, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, then another thing. I have a lot of points. I know, guys, bear with me. But hopefully they're interesting enough. So another thing. Elaine and Tamlin share similar experiences. So... Tamlin was basically forced into becoming High Lord. He mm-hmm. actually dreamed of becoming a traveling minstrel and being skilled in playing the fiddle. So he desired a life away from violence and war and politics. So this was a stark contrast to his two brothers who both so naturally embodied Tamlin's father's cruel vision for the Spring Court. And he had two brothers, like Elaine has two sisters, yay. Uh, so in Elaine's situation, So she is content with her quiet life gardening and her life is a bit at odds with the life of her two sisters. Both Farah and Nesta like seemingly fit right into the night court and uh, the notion of both Farah and Nesta being rulers holding power makes sense. In Mm -hmm. Elaine's own words, this is not the case for her. She literally says this. So it would make sense for her to get together with a different High Lord and still be in a position of power? Well, but that wouldn't be the same. Like, for example, uh, Farah asked at one point Tamlin, like, if she can be a high lady with him, and he dismissed that notion. But I didn't read that in a way, yo, no, of course you can't be a high lady because I'm the man of the house. I just read it as something that, you know, he understood to that point. He didn't have that kind of revolutionary mind. And he also didn't believe that Farah wanted that position herself because she herself actually said that, that she doesn't want to be high lady. So while Elaine in contrast, actually doesn't want that kind of a power. So it would make sense for her to just be like content with her gardening and to just focus on what she actually feels passionate about instead of something that she doesn't even want to do. True, true. But still, I feel like Tamlin can't like really get out of his position of being a high lord. I mean, he has the dream to to be the minstrel and everything. So I don't. Is is it possible that they could, you know, get that dream of them not being in that position? Well, regardless if that happens or not, I mean, because they're so similar in this Mm -hmm. case, their like experience is so similar. They have that ability to really deeply understand one another, you know, and they can balance it out together. For example, you know, she can maybe help him with some court stuff. He can help her with her quiet life gardening and playing the fiddle besides her. You know, they can really balance each other out. Um, Maybe, It just really does. I feel like it makes sense. I feel like maybe that's the key. Maybe the key is that kind of Elaine maybe helps him embrace the fact that he's a high lord and embrace that role and maybe kind of inspires him to make some changes that he didn't think of making before. Yeah, I feel like Tamlin just needs someone to really just talk to him and have a proper conversation with and... I think if he kind of finally understands that this position can actually be good for him, that he can make some proper change and help people, I think that he can find peace in that position. And with Elaine, with someone that's, you know, so tranquil and just thinks so similar to him, I think that he can really find happiness in that position as well. I just wish that he could be able to hold the conversation. We didn't have that for so long from him. Yeah. It's not to say then, you know, in regards to this, that Elaine doesn't hold any significant power or that she's not capable of holding power and strength. Because after all, she did kill the King of Highburn. Mm -hmm. And Feyre also said herself that we haven't seen a side to Elaine yet. Or was it Rassand? I don't remember. But, you know, one can be destined for greatness. They can help save the world and still be content to tend to their garden and live in peace at the end of the day. And I feel like Tamlin understands that perhaps more than anyone else. As he said to Farah once, don't feel bad for one moment about doing what brings you joy. So I feel like they would really find common ground in this case. 
okay, and then this is actually all of the points that I wanted to make in regards to them making sense together. And also there's like personality-wise, I feel like they would make sense. I think I've already mentioned some things. But, for example, I mentioned that she is very kind, she sees the positive side of people, and I think she has the capability of seeing past the beast. And I'm not gonna say that she has the capability to help him heal, because I feel like Elaine has a lot of healing to do herself. But I think they would come along together very well if they both went on their healing journey separately, and just maybe talk to each other in the process, you know, and share their experiences with each other. And I feel like if their love story actually does happen, they would probably start off kind of as maybe at first probably animosity between them since I doubt Elaine actually likes the guy but they with time and time they would probably grow to like each other I feel like if Elaine has the owl capability and if she is kind of flying to his court so that she can see the gardens I think that when she gets to his court she might be probably distraught because she sees the state in which they are in tries to fix them one day the beast comes you know along and they somehow get caught up in conversations and he allows her to stay there and tend to the gardens if that's what she wishes to do so maybe that's how like their relationship starts and then there's also the calm presence that she has and I'm not saying that she's a calm person and that she's gonna be obedient because of it but just like an energy that she possesses that might be good for for someone like Tamlin and she's pretty much Farah's opposite and we can argue if that Farah and Tamlin's personalities also weren't compatible because they were both a bit explosive in a way and like I said before he at his core does not like politics he does not like violence he wanted to stay away from that but circumstances forced him into it and Elaine is the same she desires a quiet and peaceful life mm -hmm. it's true that Elaine desires a quiet and peaceful life I still I kind of wish for Elaine to like go and have a garden and be happy, but can she like find a different spring card person <laughs> to like get together with? Personality wise, I don't see it. And also, girl code wise, with doing that to your sister, I hate it. The points that you made, I see all those hints that are there. Like you presented it in a way that I feel like Sarah Jamas will do it. I don't know how, how how to feel about it though. I I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as happy about I it. I mean, as it could be. I know. I mean, it's fine. Like if you don't like the idea, it's kind of disappointing for me because I'm so passionate about this, you know. And I really want someone to share this passion with me. And I feel like a lot of people out there do. Sadly, you know, you don't. Um, but like I said, like emotions aside, these facts that I've kind of stated, it does make sense. Okay, so I want to conclude this episode on a positive note and I just want to read something from the notes that I have written here. This is in regards to my theory. As they are pruning the bushes, removing the weeds and thorns, they would talk. For the first time in Tamlin's entire life, he would chat with someone who wasn't there because they were his employee or indebted to him or because they were fulfilling a treaty. He would make a genuine friend. And just as the gardens around him begin to regain their once lost vibrancy, so would Tamlin. And hopefully we get that for these characters, a good and interesting story. And yeah, like let us know guys if you agree with our theories or if you don't, uh, what your thoughts are. If you have any theories of your own maybe, that would also be interesting to hear. Uh, Anya made her own theory and I kind of just combined my theory with some other, you know, comments that I kind of found on the internet. 
And yeah, that's it for today's episode. And hopefully you liked it. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. We are More Than Fiction Pod. You can also follow us on TikTok. We are More Than Fiction. And please subscribe wherever you're listening. It means the world to us, the support. And, you know, it lets us know that, I guess, you liked our conversations. Thank you so much. And you can listen to us again next Monday. Yes, I'll see you, everyone. And please rate our podcast. Please give us five stars. We would really love it. It, so that would be amazing bye